And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, March 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we are moving through our outfield preview, which is probably a three-parter. And I think compared to Monday when my lizard brain thought that maybe time would be of the essence, it is very clear to me now on this day, March 3rd, that time really is not of the essence as far as hurrying through these positional previews because most likely your fantasy baseball draft or auction is not happening in the next two to three weeks. It's probably happening more like in the next six to eight weeks because you're going to keep pushing the date back because you're going to want to be closer to whenever opening day is going to be. And now we know opening day is not the original opening day. So, you know, we're going to take our sweet time because we've got labor this weekend. So we still have to do auctions and things. And and I know like there's going to be some tough decisions on the horizon, probably for the high stakes leagues that are out there too. Like how, how much do you try to push those back? Uh, It's not a great time to be a commissioner of of a league. So uh, if you are frustrated with your commissioner, for some reason, you know, be kind to, to be kind to that person because they are probably working for free and trying to make everyone happy, which is hard to do when, no one's actually happy, but oh, if you want an idea for how to proceed in a mono league in a AL only or NL only, uh, the decision that we made uh, in labor is that the top ten, I believe, or top twelve. Uh, it was top ten based on ADP. The top ten free agents that are unsigned are ineligible to be drafted. Right, they are not available in the auction, but they will go into a separate fab run prior to the start of the season because in a mono league at least in most mono leagues the rule is if you sign a free agent player or, you know get the player in the draft or the auction and they go to the other league you lose the stats now there's some that are really cutthroat where in season a trade across leagues causes you to lose those players to me that's like too far like it, you have no control over that you have no way to know if a trade is actually going to happen in season, even if you're talking about a, a pending free agent, it's just the sort of extra rule that you really don't need. But you do you do lose the player if they're a free agent and they sign the other league. And that, that impacts how they're treated on draft day. It, it's not great. You don't want a dozen really impactful players basically being lottery tickets and, and wreaking havoc on the league. So I think that was a good call by, by Steve still, Gardner. You know, I'd say that the list of interesting free agents that are still out there is probably 15 to 20 deep, maybe. Yeah, I would say at least. And so you have to model, you have to figure out how much you're going to spend on a player that will either give you all this value or give you zero value. I think this year I might be more likely to take a couple of those end game spots that I usually use for prospects and just take the chance on some of the free agents, the guys that are outside that top 10. I think that's a good way to think about it because prospects are pretty all or nothing, you know? Yeah. Tommy Pham, you know, I think is outside the top 10 in terms of free agent ADP. Like, I think he's pretty interesting because I don't think there's a clear indicator of AL versus NL for him. So if you're getting him at half of what he's projected to go for or even less potentially i think he's interesting Would you pay or, a little bit more for nelson cruz I, mean, I guess maybe not what if there's nldh they seem to like be saying that it would that it's like a possibility likelihood that kind of puts a wrinkle on things yeah i think who's obviously al or nl i don't think that's obvious in any way i'm in the nl labor auction sunday and i think freddie freeman is fairly obviously staying in the nl I I think that one, but he's not part of the auction. Yeah, so right. if he, I guess the, the thought was before this rule came out was, what would I do if Freddie Freeman were out there? And I think I would have gone probably to the high teens, low twenties at least before bowing out because I think there's a 
much better chance he's staying in Atlanta or going to the Dodgers or someplace like that as opposed to changing leagues the other way. But it would have been a risky decision. Solaire, if there's a no NLDH, I think is more likely to be American League. Uh, yep. And, but Conforto and Pham can, could go either way. Yeah. So those are the kinds of guys that I'm more interested in. Conforto, I think, is also not eligible. Also, you may have rules in your league that would technically make Asaya Suzuki unavailable. You should probably revisit those because it, it sounds like he still intends to sign with the major league team as soon as the lockout is over. Uh, there's no reason to exclude him from the player pool at this point. So uh, this uh, rules and technicalities segment has been brought to you by <laughs> rulers. <laughs> On to outfielders. <laughs> On to the outfielders, part two, where we're looking at guys to start the show who go in the top 100 to 150 range. I think this is where... This range of the draft board is where things get really fun at most positions because it feels like you can find early rounders here or you can draft players that lose a significant share of playing time. It's where that begins to happen. So feast or famine types do exist here. You can just find some steady eddies along the way, too. Uh, but this group includes players like Mitch Hanniger, Jesse Winker, Ryan Mountcastle, Kyle Schwarber, also currently a free agent, uh, Chris Taylor, Jared Kelnick. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Austin Meadows, Miles Straw, and Trent Grisham. So we get about 10 outfielders in this group. And I think Hanager, I mean, obviously, if you're thinking about the players we talked about at the end of the Monday episode, you're looking at, at Cody Bellinger, you're looking at Christian Yelich, and then you're looking at Mitch Hanager, who did a lot of the things that you want those two guys to do in a typical year. He actually did it last year when he was healthy. I wonder if Hanager has been undervalued by me because of the injuries he was dealing with prior to last season. He had a major, major injury issue that kept him off the field for what felt like two years. And the bounce back last year, the, the full nature of his comeback was actually very impressive. The only thing he doesn't necessarily do is give you a plus contribution in batting average. But I don't really think he's going to hurt you there. You get a handful of bags. I think you've got a 30 home run projection and, and plenty of, of runs and RBIs too because the lineup around him keeps getting better. Yeah, he had a possibly misdiagnosed situation there where you know they were prescribing a certain brand of rehab and then he ended up having two surgeries. I think a kind of a hernia type situation and maybe back, I don't know. But the I know there was a there was a kind of a double surgery that he had. And I kind of feel like, you know, since they diagnosed that and since he had that, you know, great season afterwards that maybe there's he hit the reset button a little bit. You know, I don't know that he's necessarily that risky of a play injury-wise this coming season. And on top of that, you know, as, you know, he's a, he's embraced all the modern training methods for for hitters and I think that's why he had such a good, you know, power output last year. But we both have talked about how you know, he struck out a little bit more last year than he usually does. And I wonder if he can't attack that bit too. And if he does strike out more in line with his career rates, then I think you could see a batting average increase this coming season. Also, I'd like to point out that compared to all, I'd say every other player in this tier, he has the safest playing time, I would say. Yeah. You know, when he is not hurt, he is in the lineup. And he needs to be in that lineup. He's probably, he's, he's the Mariners' best hitter. So he needs to be in the lineup. And every other one, if you start looking at them, has either a platoon issue or maybe a defense issue where they're going to be taken out in, in late in games. Or as in the case of like a Chris Taylor, is just on a team that shuttles guys and in and out and does load management, you know? So you just, you can actually see it in the auction calculator, in the projections, Mitch Hanager has the highest plate appearance projection in this tier. And for good reason, I think. Yeah, the guy right next to him in ADP, Jesse Winker, has defensive issues that are less of a concern with Universal DH. The problem is they have an infield crowd in Cincinnati mm -hmm. that probably Moustakis, pushes a lot of playing time yeah. for Mustakis and Eugenio Suarez. You know, you can kind of alternate who's playing third base, but the other guy is probably going to DH because those guys are both good hitters too. So they kind of have to put Winker out there defensively. And then maybe he loses the occasional late game plate appearance, depending on situations. But 
Jesse Winker has a little bit of weakness against lefties, too. A little bit. They're playing him quite a bit against lefties over the course of the season. Like I, I think they're they're more in the let's see what happens mindset with him with that playing time. So I'm pretty optimistic about his chances from a, a an opportunities standpoint of being closer to a max volume plate appearance guy than he's been in the past. The K rate's really good, 15.5% last year. Double-digit barrel rate for the second straight season coming out of the pandemic-shortened year. I think this was a, a real power breakout for Jesse Winker. I think he could be a pretty sneaky 30-home run guy that actually gives you great batting average with it. And I think that's nice to get in this range because a lot of the other mashers you find around pick 100 probably aren't going to hit 285, 290, or even possibly 300 while doing it. Yeah, he was a win for a certain approach. I think I wrote a piece in 2019 about players with good strikeout rates and okay max EV and 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 okay barrel rates. And he has elite plate discipline and really good strikeout rates. So, you know, you know, I think that that's something to look for in young players is somebody, you know, when we talk about Wander Franco and like his projections and how his batted ball stats are kind of mediocre, but you know, great contact rate and good chase rate. Wanda Franco is a little bit like you know pre-power breakout winker, All right? So even if we think the projections don't love Wanda Franco and you know there isn't that much power and the batted ball stats don't look that good, they look good enough that he could take you know fill out whatever it is to you know have a slightly harder swinging approach, whatever it is. He could take that same leap that Winker took and be a 300 hitting, 30 homer, 10 steal shortstop. You know, um, so I just wanted to point out that Winker's had this kind of cool growth that you can use uh, to look for other players, which is to look for good uh, plate discipline, good contact ability, and uh, and and decent max EV, decent like average barrel rates. I think that's someone that can break out. I, I like him generally. Uh, I just don't have many shares of Winker and Hanniger or of this tier in general um, because I'm doing other things at this part of the draft. And I also, uh, other than Winker and Hanniger, see a lot of playing time risk. Are you also looking at Kyle Schwarber in this range as a guy that you know, has nice power, but also doesn't seem to have another level that he's going to reach? I mean, I, I wonder... I wonder if we've already seen the the best of what he can do as a hitter. And I hope he can continue to play first base somewhere. That'd be a nice development long term to get him over there as opposed to having him in the outfield. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on, on Schwarber because on a per plate appearance basis, what he was doing in 2021 was really exciting. I'm just not sure if he can actually hold anything close to that rate over a full season. I think that's a thing to worry about. I do think he's closed a hole in his swing. He used to have a hole up in the zone. I think that's where you see some of the ups and downs in his career and that he's the most complete hitter he's ever been in in the in terms of like having a swing that can cover the top of the zone and uh, the bottom of the zone. Um, you've seen some of the better strikeouts of his career last year, rates of his career. So I, I believe he can be a 250, 260 hitter, and you're not going to get back to that 188, 211 type real batting average risk he's been in the past. So I like him as a player. But I will say, and this is something we talked about off off air, that you know the the risk of being a very like drafting only by the dollar sign in your auction calculator is that you miss what happens in the room and you miss sort of concepts of scarcity. And so what I have seen is I left Schwarber and Hanniger to some extent. And I know I just said some nice things about Hanniger and I do think that, you know, he's going to hit for a better batting average than Schwarber um, and probably steal a couple more bases and play more plate appearances than Schwarber. But I put Hanniger in a bit of a tier, like a, in a grouping of all power, very little speed, uh, not necessarily plus batting average uh, group of players. And that group of players in my queue, um, how do you say it, uh, has resiliency. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're still there. <laughs> you know? Like Schwarber's gone, but like there are other players in this tier that I, I feel like I can, I, like Austin Meadows will be there forever, you know? Uh, and, and Schwarber dropped and Meadows is dropping. And there are other players just like that, uh, that, uh, that are dropping. And so 
I think it's okay to take one of these guys. I'm just saying take them after ADP is what I'm saying, basically. I guess the, the concern with Schwarber has been previous opportunities against lefties and more recently some injuries also being sprinkled in, but the power is really impressive. I mean, this is this is one of the few guys you're going to look at and you're going to see some hard hit and barrel percentages that look like Tyler O'Neill's hard hit and barrel percentages, and that's pretty exciting to get in this range, but I have had that same problem that you described where there's been something else I've needed. I needed to start bolstering my starting rotation. I needed to start thinking about a second closer or or even just making sure that I had someone that would run in this range because the quality players that would steal bases were drying up. And all of those things have kept me away from Schwarber so far. But uh, if he finds a spot where he can once again get into that low 600 plate appearance range like we saw in, in 2019, Maybe we do see another season it's where he's to, you know, high 40. 30s, low 40s. Yeah, yeah. he hits 40. That's totally possible with the, the raw skills that he has. It just takes a couple of things breaking right, and then part of that is landing uh, in the right this place. Is, this is also why I like tiers. Uh, I like to do tiers plus auction value. Um, so what I will do is look at the auction calculator, judge a tier, which sometimes is really obvious. If you sort by dollars, you'd be like, whoa, it goes from a bunch of $12 players to like $7 players, right? So you see a tier, take that tier, throw them into your queue and do that for a couple positions of need so that you have, you know, basically in your top 10 in the queue, you have three outfielders, three third basemen, uh, two closers and two starting pitchers that represent the end of their P- tier. And what you'll see if you if you do that, maybe you do it for 20 or 25 players, but what you'll see is that you can really quickly look and be like, whoa, listen, closers are never going to look good in the auction calculator, right? And th- there's only two left that I like, which <laughs> this is kind of where I am right now in TGFBI, but there's two left that I like. And yes, the auction calculator is screaming at me to take Kyle Schwarber, but there's only two closers left I like at all. <laughs> you know? So I'm going to have to take one of these closers, even though the auction calculator differences. Because if I don't get Schwarber, there's Austin Meadows who are going to make it back, make it back to me in the next round. So, And I think that Meadows showed enough actually last year not to sort of jump around the, the rundown too much. But I think that Meadows showed enough to me last year that I think he can be very Schwarby, Schwabian. Like he can, he can get out there and, you know, strike out 20... Seven percent of the time, uh, you know, twenty-five percent of the time. Last year, he only struck out twenty-one percent of the time. So, if he strikes out twenty-one, twenty-two percent of the time, why can't he hit two sixty, two seventy-five? And the barrel rates are good. Uh, the max EV is good. Uh, the fly ball rate is good. Like I think he's taking advantage, the most advantage of his uh, power set, as there might be. It might be a low BABIP, and that'll keep his batting average low because he hits a lot of fly balls, but. Uh, you know, Meadows of Schwarber light with a couple extra steals, uh, I think will be there for you a couple rounds later. Yeah, I think that's what's kept me away from Ryan Mountcastle in the same range, too. I mean, I think you could say Mountcastle's more like Mitch Hanniger playing time wise, and maybe both Meadows and Schwarber, depending on where he goes, because those guys are on better teams, maybe they lose just a little bit of playing time because of the depth around them. That could be a, a slight difference between them, but generally, I'm just kind of out on this cluster because I see good value in the outfield later. And I think what I've also been doing from a roster construction standpoint, I've been trying to make up ground in stolen bases in the outfield. So the the 240-250 masher, good value in this spot. But if I've got plenty of power already, it's not the player type that I necessarily need. So yeah, maybe these guys are going a round or two, maybe even three rounds later than they should in a vacuum. But it doesn't necessarily matter if I've got a good power base already and I'm going to be short on speed if I don't address that category. I'm going to be short on steals if I don't address that category. I think that's, to me, that's the better argument against these players than anything within their individual profiles. But if you took uh, Trey Turner or Fernando Tatis or Cedric Mullins or Adberto Mondesi, actually, Adberto Mondesi, I'm a little bit worried about the batting average, so that's not a great one. But... If you took uh, Turner or Tatis or Mullins or, you know, I'm not sure what Acuna's uh, steals will look like this year, but maybe him early on, that does open you up a little bit for uh, for taking somebody out of this tier, which seems a little bit undervalued at times. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The other players in this group that I think are definitely worth bringing up, Jared Kelnick, I mean, I think he just falls into this projection void of having a rough big league debut, which drags down his 2022 projection a lot. And I think when you compare that to what you see for Bobby Witt Jr., who destroyed AAA for a year and is projected to be immediately good, it just it makes the lights go off. The, the, the caution lights start going off in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Jared Kelnick, who was good on a per-plate appearance basis at AAA, had just stayed at AAA and dominated there, would the projection systems like him more than they do for failing at the big league level? And I think the answer is yes. I think I think the level of struggle that we saw from Kelnick has a, a significant impact on, on your actual 2022 projection. We saw this a couple of years ago with Kyle Tucker. I think this is a good other recent example of a guy that came up, didn't play a ton, didn't play well. Projection systems bury him for it. And, you know, now you have to kind of make a decision for yourself. How much growth are we going to see? I don't think we're getting that much of a discount in the draft market on Jared Kelnick. There's been plenty of hype and there was uh, some signs. Of, there were some signs of progress from him with plate skills over the course of his rookie season. Uh, but I'm curious, have you been tempted to draft Kelnick in this range under the assumption that there's power and speed and maybe some other slash line elements of that projection that are probably undershot because of just how rough the debut was. Yeah, there's definitely the shape of a, of a player's career and the shape of his success and, and, and failures, you know, matters a lot to, you know, our recency bias and, and what we think of a guy. We, we see Kellenick's debut and we put him in a place and we decide not to revisit that. He had an interesting thing where his reach rate was very different. And you know, in the first twenty games of his in his debut, he reached at, at pitches outside the zone thirty eight percent of the time, and that's awful. That's 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 bad. Then in the next twenty, he was a little bit more like twenty eight percent of the time, which is better. I mean, he kind of kept it steady for the middle forty. He was like sort of an average reach rate guy, and then it spiked again, and he was back up to forty percent at the end of the season. And then his last sort of twenty games of the season, he had like a he only reached at like twenty five percent of the pitches he saw, and that was the best stretch of the season for him wobo wise too. And I have a bias towards hitters that don't reach and hit the ball hard. He has the ability maybe uh to do both of those things but he's hasn't really done both of those things at the same time <laughs> um but i i do think that that debut the fact that he showed power and speed i think and the fact that he had such great strikeout rates in the minors not that crazy of a swing strike rate and then this reach rate that went up and down uh i think he i think i should have more uh shares of him than i do yeah, because it could be the kind of thing where you know you feel good about the twenty homers and the ten steals that you see for most of the projection systems, but you don't want to draft him because well, he's at two twenty batting average. I don't want that. Well, I I would take the over not that far from being you know a good batting average guy. I, I I still I still wonder about the OBP. I still wonder if he's really going to walk a lot. You know, I think he might settle in at eight percent walk rate and or nine percent walk rate, which is just about average. Uh, and then maybe like a twenty-four percent strikeout rate. If you give him that, like Steamer does, you get a two thirty-two average, which is one of the better ones. Now you add a little bit of power. I don't know. 
I think he could hit 250. I think he could hit 260. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know that he's locked into 220. And even at 220, I think the auction calculator is saying uh, that he's he's worth it here. Yeah. Well, no, I think not really, him. actually. <laughs> now that I look, auction calculators is five dollars. Everybody else in this tier is well, you know, like Hanniger's sixteen, uh, Schwarber's fifteen, Meadows is fourteen. So actually, Kellner's is an outlier when it comes to the auction calculator. The broader point that I was trying to make is just like, well, the auction calculator is going to be low because the projections are right. jacked up because he debuted in some pretty unusual circumstances. I think it's fair to say no 2020 minor league season, you know, making the leap to the big leagues. It's a bigger leap than usual. All, all of the things that people have been talking about, that, that all makes sense. The the up and down fluctuations in in his O-swing percentage are, are interesting because you could say, well, he's, he's showing the ability to cut back on that. Or maybe he's trying to be too aggressive and just needs to dial that back. Or maybe he's just being fooled. Like, you the the cause of those fluctuations, I think, is still uh, somewhat debatable, right? Like, he, is it is the kind of thing that is fixable? Like, I would argue it probably is, but we don't know. Like, everybody's going to be different in that regard. Well, what if I could offer you in a, a would you rather? What if I could offer you a player that has top five reach rates in baseball, has already demonstrated that he has. 25 homer power and will steal more than 10 bases next year and won't hit 220 goes in the same range and has a better auction calculator number wouldn't you just take that guy strikes uh, swings and and misses less uh walks you more. should take that guy shouldn't you just take that guy you should take the player that does all the things that you want the other player to right, do exactly. already <laughs> if the prices are equal. Trent Grisham does all the things you want Jared Kellner to do, except maybe have, you know, that power upside. But Trent Grisham had an 11% bail rate in 2020. So I think I would argue that he has better power upside than people are giving credit for. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things about Grisham that are are great. I mean, he's 24 for 30 now as a base dealer, so continued green lights when you're successful 80% of the time. He draws walks, so he gets on base a lot for a speedster. Even if you're looking for 15 bags, someone who gets on base at a 330-340 clip is at least putting himself in a position to have those stolen base opportunities. And maybe you're right. Maybe people are sleeping a little bit on the power uh, Grisham as a prospect, I mean, I just remember this profile being so weird. We looked at him maybe two or so years ago on the show. He had this problem where he wasn't pulling anything, which I think is a good problem to have. If you can take everything the other way, that's a good skill. The only concern would be well, what happens if you get fastballs in? Can you can you not handle pitches in or do you just simply not want to pull the ball because you you know, you can go the opposite way. And I think we're seeing over time that he can handle inside pitches better than we might have thought as a prospect, right? You're not going to necessarily just jam him all the time and, and get away with it. And he was he was a league average hitter last season, 103 WRC plus, 242, 327, 413. It's not a sexy slash line, but I think the things that we, we'd like to get excited about, homer steals, runs, and RBIs, when you play as much as Grisham is likely to play in this offense good things tend to happen. So uh, I think he could be a do everything except for batting average sort of player. And, but, and maybe it's but not, when you say except for 15, batting 15. average, more like treading water, like not, not he's like a, he's not, not a negative 20. Anywhere. Like you said, yeah, right. Do you want the 240 guy that bops 35 homers or do you want the 240 guy that might go 2020? Yeah. I'd rather actually take the chance on the 240, 2020 guy because of the second 20. I can find extra power somewhere else later if I need it. And I think you're getting enough runs and RBIs to go along with it. Where I think Grisham hits high in the order against righties. When he plays against lefties, he gets buried. That's fine. I can I can live with that. So I'm with you. I think he's undervalued. I think he's a great would you rather for Kelnick for 2022 only. Even though I think both of us, if we were in a keeper or dynasty scenario, mm. would probably lean more towards Kelnick having the, the higher long-term ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe maybe you'd like Grisham more long-term. I, I would be the kind that would uh, trade Kelnick for Grisham Plus if I, if, you know, if it made sense for me. Yeah. Yes, that is that is optimizing for the entire scenario. Uh, the other player that goes in this range is a guy that I never draft, Miles Straw. 
Um, would you like to make a case for for Miles Straw being either better than I think or fitting really well in this range in a in a certain scenario? I mean, I, I'm basically allergic to players that have a one percent barrel rate. Uh, yep. I can't really speak to that. The one nice thing though is that he does have Grishimian, Grish Grishemian, uh, Vatoian reach rates. He's he's really good at uh, at his, the play discipline aspect, and he makes a ton of contact. The swinging strike rates are around four uh, percent uh, for the two thirds of his career. So. Uh, yeah, for his career, 4.8%. That's really, really good. So he's going to make a lot of contact. He's going to be really patient. He won't give you any power. But the fact that he can make a lot of contact and be really patient might keep him atop of that lineup. Uh, the defense seems to agree that he's very good. Uh, the Indians, or the Guardians, sorry, have for a long time been looking for a center fielder. Um, I don't necessarily think brad zimmer is going to take the job but i do have to mention zimmer mercado and stephen kwan are all behind him on the depth chart and all of them will have a better than one percent barrel rate next year yeah center field defense matters enough where if you could also get on base that i think that keeps the playing time afloat for straw in Ciarte. A lot, yeah, because a lot of guys like that don't walk as much as Miles Straw has walked so far. Ooh, a lot of those checking NCRT's walk rate. I would bet a large sum of money that he never had a double digit walk rate. Oh, aha, you're wrong once in 230 plate appearances. <laughs> yeah, so career we'll call 7% that a push. walk rate. Yeah, so that I think that's an out, that's a difference. It, it's enter NCRT with, with plus patience. Yeah, and I think that is good enough to keep him afloat. I would say, but Ender Enciarte had was viable in fantasy for like for four years, five years maybe. Miles Straw to me is more of the I got caught up getting value or chasing everything else, and I I, I solved everything but steals, and now I need. I took to take everything the auction value. My last shot. I took everything the auction calculator told me to take, and I have no guys with steals. <laughs> right, like I don't, I think he's. He's on your your list of A plan, B plan, C plan, different things that could happen. I don't think he's the guy you want to have all the time. Like I, I don't think th- I don't think he's stable enough as a hitter, even with his strengths, to be the kind of player that you'd want to have on all of your teams. And I, I'm going to get laughed at so hard if he steals 50 bases this year, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's just one of those pro- just just like we said with Grisham, 46 for 55 as a base dealer, plenty of green lights. That OBP skill is so important because if he didn't have that, he could be a bottom third of the order hitter. So then he'd be a drag in runs and RBIs. And, you know, like that with, with very little power, he'd be a very tough player to, to build around. But I think because he could be very good even in runs scored and because he's not going to be bad in batting average and he's going to be great in steals, the case for Miles Straw is one that I'm warming up to in the right circumstances but i have not yet i have not yet done it i have not yet built a team lacking speed to the point where i said yes miles straw is the solution to my problems right here i've, I've tried to go more balanced and i've tried to put those stolen bases into profiles that i like that are more well-rounded overall as opposed to i'm getting 30 here from this guy even though i think there are a couple things that could go wrong for him what do you think of this would you rather a guy going 40 picks lower uh, doesn't have the same plus speed but is projected for at least by one projection system 25 steals but has a nine percent barrel rate good reach rates and just swings and misses more often akil badu thought it might be akil badu i it's more in your 2020 you know crowd you know yeah and i think just holding your own after his lengthy, extra lengthy absence. I mean, he got hurt in 2019, only played 29 games that year. So he missed the rest of that season, didn't play in 2020, and then was a a rule five pick making the leap to the big leagues. And it it was above average player. He had a 108 WRC plus. It's just flat out amazing. Rule five, six selection. Yeah. I would rather do that than, than rely on miles straw. But I think you are, 
you're getting that little discount for a reason. This Tigers outfield situation is probably even more crowded than the Guardians. There's probably uh, more risk that Badu doesn't play against lefties, whereas Miles Straw, I think, could be that max volume plays every single day. I don't know if Badu is going to get that opportunity. That might be true because you got Robbie Grossman. You're going to have Riley Green after not too long. Um, You've got Daz Cameron and Victor Reyes still hanging out. You know, trying to make their case. And you might even have Eric Haas playing some outfield like he did last year. It would be amazing if Badu showed enough in limited chances against lefties or if the Tigers said, we're going to do what the Padres do with Trent Grisham. We like having you on the field all the time. You know, we maybe we value the, the defense. Whatever it is they want to use to keep him on the field, give him that opportunity, even if he has to drop in the order, I'd rather get the playing time and get some counting stats than get none. If if you think that scenario plays out, then I think you should love Akil Badu where he's going right now because it is a, a well balanced profile. I do having you know listed all those names out. I I, mean, I do think Badu has more long term upside than Daz Cameron and Victor Reyes. Oh yeah, yeah. At this point, not even close. And if the if the season uh, falls apart a little bit on the Tigers, Grossman, I don't believe, is under contract after this year. Um, he's a free agent 2023. Yeah, so he could be an easy uh, trade candidate uh, if they're... I mean, it doesn't even have to fall apart. Even if they're a 500 team, I guess they could keep him and try to be like, hey, we made progress this year. But if somebody's willing to give them something that they're interested, even a relief prospect, because their relievers aren't that great, you know? So if they could even get a relief a reliever for Robbie Grossman for two months, they might do that. They could just re-sign him if they really like him. It sounds like they do in their organization, and so who knows? I mean, we've seen teams do things like that, and this is the this is the group of guys that go kind of in the one fifty to two hundred overall range. So you get Alex Verdugo in there, Hunter Renfro, Badu, Joey Gallo, Adelis Garcia, Avisail Garcia. Alex Kirilov, Eddie Rosario, Dylan Carlson, Marcelo Zuna, Jorge Soler, Andrew Benintendi, Seiya Suzuki, Robbie Grossman, and Michael Conforto. That is a group of outfielders full of names that I like. Yeah, I'm, I'm back risk. in. I'm kind of back in. <laughs> there's there's risk, but I think what, what it comes down to is there's not a lot that separates the first group of players that we've talked about from this group of players. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many of those guys, even if I like their profiles in the 100 to 150 range, have been ending up on other people's rosters. Verdugo is just kind of the does everything sort of player that I, what what is within that skills profile is like, what is there to to not like? I guess you could wish that he ran more maybe or had a little more power, but at least getting a little bit of everything. He keeps you sort of on track for for all of your categorical targets where he goes. It may not happen uh, because he's further into his career than Jesse Winker is was, but it is the Jesse Winker profile. Decent mm-hmm. barrel rates, great discipline, great uh, oh, good discipline, great contact ability. This is the kind of player that could make a small tweak to his approach and say, "Hey, I'm going to you know be a high ball hitter now," and could see his ground ball rates change, see his power change. So, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, pre-power breakout winker. And so, therefore, he's very, very safe at the projections, I believe. And then also has more upside beyond than people may give him credit for. I mean, he's still only uh, 25, I believe. Yeah, he's still only 25 years old. And I don't think his team is going to platoon him. So, you know, I think he's a he's a he's a really good pick there. The double digit, there's still some double digit players here, even though uh, players like Guriel, Kelnick and Straw are projected by the calculator for less than double digits. Uh, in this group, there are double digit players in Verdugo, Renfro, Gallo, Avisel Garcia, Dylan Carlson, Marcelo Zuna, Andrew Benintendi. So, you know. This is a group of players I like because you're still getting that double-digit auction value calculator value, and you're still getting you can even get some speed in there. Avisel Garcia Verdugo has a handful. Adolis Garcia has some speed. Um, I think there's some potential in some of the other names that we'll get to. So, yeah, it's this is a, a place I like to shop. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's interesting that there's a few guys here that have what look like almost identical profiles. Uh, Hunter Renfro, who is replacing Avisail Garcia in Milwaukee. Uh, Garcia gets a park downgrade going to Miami and probably even a slight supporting cast downgrade, at least based on how things are right now. And the Brewers had plenty of issues putting runs on the board, so that could be a, a little little way of eroding some of those counting stats. But you get power and speed. 20 homers and 10 steals with an average that won't hurt you. He's the best across the board guy in here. He's the best, gives you everything in this group, I think. Verdugo is close, but I think it's actually Avisel Garcia who goes 20 picks later. Yeah, because you start to get into the Renfro profile, and it's that's almost more like Adam Duvall to me. Like that's You're giving up a little potential batting average for some extra power, and that can be a pretty risky game to play as well. Yeah, so Avisel Garcia, I think, is is uh, like parentally underrated. <laughs> People don't understand how you know athletic he is, and yes, sometimes it's tough to watch him defensively or whatever. But you know, he's a he's a really good player. Miscast as a occasional center fielder, but to even be an occasional center fielder, you have to be reasonably athletic. And because he's he's big, he's big. We've said this before, but he also cut a ton of weight, I think, in the 2020 season and, and kept that off, too. So the, the transformation for him is also, I think, a, a part of, of why I believe he's able to sustain a, a much better floor further into his career than I would have thought three or four years ago. Uh, Joey Gallo goes in this range. You know, what do you do with Joey Gallo? I mean, we, we kind of talked about it in, in the sense of like Miles Straw is the I don't have enough speed. I have everything else. What if you had a lot of speed and you had a good batting average foundation? And you said, I just, I need power. I need power. I need a guy that's probably not going to get many days off and I'm positioned to take one big batting average hit. Do you think Joey Gallo is, is underrated because the projections love him in terms of homers, RBIs, and runs? Because if, if he hits just on those projections, even with a 213 average, he should be going earlier than he's going. I think it's just that 213 average, man. I think, you know, to make uh, to make one average average guy, to, to make one to to mitigate him just to average level. So, you let's say you have a plus batting average. You, I mean, you have to have a player I guess you could what 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 would you do if you put Michael Brantley and him together, you know? Yeah, what's the final line from those two players? I can do that pretty quickly. But I think you can mitigate a Gallo strategy, and Gallo drops in in leagues because of that poor batting average. So I think it's a it's a play. But I just tell you, man, I, I'm in most leagues I'm jealously guarding batting average because it's a really difficult stat. And I just don't really want to drop behind in it. If it's a mono league, I'm all on board because I mostly just punt batting average. 
um, or don't think about it too hard because it's just really hard to keep it going. If you combined Michael Brantley and Joey Gallo last year, you got 1,124 plate appearances. That's pretty good. Almost 600 each. You got a 253 batting average, which I would say is, is actually below average for fantasy, right? So you would need to do more than Michael Brantley. But you would have gotten 46 homers and seven stolen bases from the two of them. You'd actually be behind on stolen bases too. So what we're looking for from the average player in fantasy in 15-team leagues is about a 270 average, 25 homers, and uh, seven to eight stolen bases. So you're, you're still behind in batting average, and you are still behind in stolen bases with this combo. What about runs and RBIs? Like Both of those guys should be Well, above last year it wasn't great. Norms. 158 runs, 124 RBI. Yeah, so I guess if you look at... The, if you look at it that way, you'd say, well, why wouldn't you just take guys that hit 250 with 20 homers and, and six steals that are... I mean, that's what I, I try to do. Less risky. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stay above those benchmarks with every player. And I'm trying to do it across the board as long as possible because that's keeps you, that keeps you spry. You know what I mean? That keeps you... That allows you to take advantage of fallers better. It's if you've built a certain team up to this point and you think you're you're you've you think you have a 290 batting average uh, already, then I think you can throw Jack Gallo in there for the power. But it's a tough one team building wise, I think. It it is difficult to have that much surplus in batting average, but it takes it does take more than one player. I think a 220-230 guy maybe you can get away with only like one really good batting average player to start to offset that if you've done pretty well elsewhere but got to keep close tabs on that category Adelis Garcia uh, is like one of those guys that I look at and I'm like no chance I, I can't do it I know he's a, a good defender in center field but but he led the league last season with swinging strikes on elevated fastballs mm. seems very specific but that just seems like the kind of just problem. He's just not going to fix that. He had 150 swinging strikes on elevated fastballs. If you can't hit high fastballs when you're 29, it's over. It's not going to happen. So I, it could be like, what's the best case scenario for him? Takes center field. Leotis Tavares hits for like a 70 WRC plus, and Garcia hits for a 90 WRC plus, and takes center field from him. But even yeah, then, he'll hit 220, you know, with 25, 27 homers and 10 stolen bases or so. I don't know. It's like a what a fun like a, season a year ago, though. Yeah, but it's like a bad version of uh, Joey Gallo. It's a scarier version of, of Dylan Moore, I think, is, mm. is what it is. Because coming out of the shortened season, you know, eight homers, 12 steals, and 38 games for Dylan Moore, held his own with batting average. Like Dylan Moore's underlying profile actually makes more sense to me as a big league player than than Garcia's. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if you look at the the shape of Garcia's season, like it's actually you know we're talking about the shape of of Kelnick's season, right? Uh, Garcia's is is the opposite, you know, where he did so well up front and even showed some some discipline, and then. It all went away, you know. For the first forty games of the season, he swung at thirty percent of strikes outside the outside the strike zone, right? And you're like, well, that's not a problem, you know. Everyone said that was his, a problem in his profile. Uh, he climbed to fifty percent over the next forty games. He was seeing at fifty percent of the pitches he saw outside the zone. Now that calmed down a little bit, but he ended up around forty percent for the season. That's not good. And his WOBA was was peaked 60 games in and just went in a free fall after that. And he was below average. Uh, he was a 200 WOBA player uh, for like his last 40 games. So I uh, I think the league kind of figured him out. And I have zero shares and I have zero, zero want for shares. I, I think that's right. But I, I want to present the other side that I had sort of just forgotten about. Donnie Ecker is the hitting coach or the, the offensive coordinator and hitting instructor now in Texas. You can't fix that. No, I'm just saying you can't. You can't. You can't spread that much love. <laughs> you know, I just. Uh, I I think even Donnie Ecker would rather like Donnie Ecker did a really good job with Lamont Wade, right? What did Lamont Wade have inherently that Garcia doesn't have? 
a sense of the ability the strike to hit zone. fastballs and also yeah. the sense of the strike zone you know and what did ecker do so yes here's what the one thing ecker could do maybe help him solve the high fastball thing right because that was one thing Lamont Wade could do. He couldn't do anything with the inside fastball. Ecker and his team and Wade's team, they all worked on a way for him to sort of clear clear his hips and get through faster and, and hit the inside pitch. So that helped him untap a little bit of power. But it all came with a baseline of knowing where the strike zone is, which Garcia doesn't have. And also, Wade has good bat-to-ball skills, which Garcia doesn't have. So maybe Ecker could help him mitigate something like find a way to spit on the high fastball, right? But then he's like pre-breakout Schwarber or 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 Cody like young Cody Bellinger, somebody who can only hit the low pitch and just spits on the high pitch. You know, there's another name for that, Brandon Moss. He's Brandon Moss. Yeah. A lot of similarities with Brandon Moss, actually. <laughs> 31 homers, 16 steals, 16 for 21 as a base dealer. If he could just find a way to strike out less or draw more walks or not swing through as many high fastballs there are interesting traits there but yeah there's a lot working against Adelis Garcia but, but I I felt like it was wrong to not bring that up because that is a big change in Texas that I think has us kind of excited about a few different bats that have been kicking around there for at least a little while and, it, and his defense is interesting enough where he could take center field so that's definitely worth uh, thinking about that there's like, you know, I guess the deeper the league and the che- cheaper the price, the more I'm a little bit interested, you know, but there are uh, two names in this tier that are young players that showed enough with the advanced stats that we like that by projections are already good enough to go in this tier, but have, I think, some upside beyond their projections. Right. I think Dylan Carlson yes. is the one. I, I did. I just missed him on TGFBI by three picks. I had oh, shots at him, and at him. I thought he was going to fall more than I've ever seen him fall. I guess this kind of goes back to part of the Kelnick conversation. Like You can believe that Jared Kelnick is going to take that step, and you can believe that he's under-projected, but would you rather just take the guy a little later who also has growth potential, who's already shown that he can hold his own over Pre-peak a full big age season? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you're you're getting a lot of the same growth potential elements that you're looking for in a player. So why would you not just wait a few rounds and and get that in Carlson? I think the way I look at Carlson, I'm I'm also surprised that he hasn't done a little bit more on the base paths because the Cardinals like to run. They've had some issues scoring runs during his brief time in the big leagues. So you'd think that would continue to give a lot of players green lights. He gets on base a lot, and he's certainly not slow. Like that, he's just one of those guys that doesn't run yet in the big leagues. But I could see him becoming a, a ten to twelve steal guy relatively quickly, especially if there's not a big uptick in power. I could see the speed being the thing where he, he makes up some ground and, and adds some some roto value. Yeah, he's got the you know times to first uh, over at uh, at some baseball savant times to first are more predictive of stolen base ability than sprint speeds um, and Dylan Carlson has the same times to first as Oscar Mercado, Marcus Simeon, Francisco Lindor, uh, Nate Lowe, uh, you know, uh, Gregory Polanco, Lorenzo Cain. He's better than, he's faster than Lorenzo Cain. Uh, faster than Chris Bryant. So, I mean, I think this suggests a real uh, opportunity for 10 stolen bases. You know, when you look at the the group. And you're getting a player who cut his strikeout rate last year, improved his walk rate, and showed some some power. 18 home runs in 149 games, playing half your games in Bush Stadium. Hit the ball in the air more often last year. Those are all underlying things that we're looking for in a player. So... For me, if you said, would you rather Kelnick or Carlson, especially accounting for the difference in price this year, I, I think it's Dylan Carlson, and it's actually not that close. I think if it's straight up even, I'd probably take Carlson. Yeah, I think so. The next one, uh, the, the other young player that I was thinking about is, I think, not as quite a slam dunk as Carlson, because Carlson is already projected for, uh, what is it, $11 of value. This guy, Alex Kirloff, is only projected for $7, and they go basically at the same point in drafts. So, you know, 
given that, I would rather have more picks. I'd rather have, you know, at that point, I'd rather have Carlson. But if if Alex Kirloff drops at all, I become interested. And he doesn't do the reach rate thing very well, or he hasn't. And he has a history of lower walk rates in the minors. So he's a little bit of an aggressive hitter. But I think he has a pretty good hit tool given that aggressiveness. And he had a 13% barrel rate last year that I really like. So I think that the projections are undervaluing that power or uh, undervaluing the, undervaluating the playing time, the type of playing time he will get with that power. So I think he unlocks that power, and then these sub-500 plate appearance projections look a little light. And he ends up with 600 plate appearances, a 270 average, and 25 homers. So... You know, I think that's something that Kirilov can do pretty easily. Now you have to, you want to pay the $7 price and get the $12 return instead of paying the $12 price where, so that's where like hype kind of becomes a thing, right? Right now he's going among players that are more expensive, that are projected projected for more value. He's not going to give you steals. He doesn't have a really good reach rate. So I'm arguing for and against him in the same sentence. But, it's hard to do, but, you, but you're doing it. <laughs> I'm the king of waffles. I'm impressed. I'll say this. I'll just say, if he drops to like 200 or 190 or something, I'm all over him. I just I just want to bake in a little bit of that risk. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty consistently something you could see happen. Uh, he's, his ADP is 175 in the second half of February, so you could be sitting there in that range and it could make a lot of sense. I mean, there's a guy that he was basically going to replace last year, Eddie Rosario. We don't know where he's going to play. Uh, I think had he not gone on the run that he went on in the postseason last year, he probably wouldn't be in this tier, but it happened, and here he is. Uh, it was interesting that he had 11 steals last season. He's kind of quietly become more efficient as a base dealer. He was 8 for 10 back in 2018. I think he was 6 for 8 between 2019 and, and 2020. We're not talking about a guy that's going to necessarily by himself make a massive difference in the category but he's chipping in those long tail steals that are, are pretty helpful if you're trying to go with that more balanced approach and I think we're starting to see like the lower end of his batting average range as a player that doesn't strike out a lot he's got a, a 259 average last year 257 in the shortened season there's room for him to be good in that category and I'm, I'm just really curious to see where Eddie Rosario ends up landing as a free agent once we get back to that phase he's amazing because he's really easy to project like he has there's not much risk in his projections you know he has a 310 obp for his career he has a 305 last year 316 300 323 in the last four years right so he's like right there he has a 275 batting average for his career he's been at 260 276 you know 280 in the last four years Boom, right there. He has a 198 ISO for his career. It was basically 180 last year, 219 the year before, 191. You know, he basically is the same guy every year at the plate where he has a decent batting average, a poor OBP, good power, and some speed. And therefore, he looks like a really safe bet. However, I would point out to you that in the last three years, he's put up three wins combined in terms of wins by replacement. He is a poor defender with a poor plate approach. And I think that's just the type of player that is not valued in baseball these days. And it's not going to, that's not going to change. And I think he's more likely to sign with a team to be a part-time player than to be awarded a full-time role. And so even though he's easy to project, I'm out on him. So I think Eddie Rosario could end up being the A's DH for a, a discount because of the way the, the league works, right? I think he could end up with a surplus of playing time, a better yes. spot He's in the order. He's a second division starter if, there, if right. that exists. So if he ends up on a bad team, then I guess he could see a lot of playing time. That's just kind of what I expect. I don't, I don't think a good team wants that profile all year. I think a good team is fine with that profile when they're Need looking at ways the to fix the bottom yeah. half of the lineup, right? And yeah, you, you love... You love what he could do as a hitter. And if you could take the defense out of the equation, I don't know, maybe you get an extra a, a little bump in his overall production. It was the year of the rabbit ball. 32 homers back in, in 2019, but a few 20 homer seasons before that. I think he can get back to that level if he lands 
in the aforementioned uh, second division scenario. But you're right. This is exactly the profile that major league teams don't value. And right now, especially, I'd much rather know. I think he's one of those ones where the where he lands really means a lot. Yep. I could definitely see that kind of dictating whether or not he ticks up or continues to slide a little bit in ADP. I've, Let's get to Robbie Grossman just for a minute. You mentioned him a little earlier. I, I have a hard time looking at the profile. I know Cody Stavenhagen wrote a lot about the changes that Grossman made, and some of those changes even started in Oakland. Know, it's so hard to look at the 2020 Robbie Grossman, the first time he did it in his entire career in his 30s, and say, I totally believe that he's running that back. But he's always he done a Detroit. great job of getting on base. <laughs> he even he, added he, some the changes. He, the little, the little bit of a, a strikeout rate uptick is worth it because it came with the added barrels. Like it, if you start to just take away the he's old and we saw it for so long and he didn't do this. If you just take that away, if you if you looked at him and he said if, if a twenty six year old guy did what Robbie Grossman did last season, he'd go. 50 plus picks earlier in drafts but because Robbie Grossman <laughs> did it at 31 people like me at least are, are very skeptical and I think that could be maybe a hole in my game so when you look at Robbie Grossman do you think 2020 is actually still on the table projections point to him at least as a 15 15 guy which where he's going is fine if that's all he ends up being this year that's going to be okay as long as he's playing on a near everyday basis and, and racking up those counting stats again. Yeah. It's one of the thing I think is you look at the, the 20 steals and you say, wow, he never stole even 10 before. However, you have to recognize that he was a part-time player for most of his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the eight stolen bases in Oakland came at 192 plate appearances. The nine, the year before came in 482. So, you know, he's kind of showed this speed before he's shown the ability to at least, so I think he's safe for 10 plus. And, you know, given that he seems locked in for for all the playing time he wants, I think, especially if he's going to hit for his projected 10% better than league average, then uh, then I think he's going to get 15 stolen bases because, you know, even these projections seem a little light on playing time. 574 played appearances for the bat, 571 for zips. Why should he do that? Uh, I think uh, if he's healthy, he's going to play and... Uh, I don't know. I think he's. I think the age makes him makes him cheaper than he should be. All right. So maybe after months and months of, of passing on him at a discount to my own peril, maybe now I will wise up and and take a few flyers on, mm-hmm. on Grossman in this range because it just it makes sense. Like it it's it's a well balanced profile and it's probably a much higher lineup position. He's always had good OBP skills, like I said. But it's a much higher OBP position or uh, lineup position locked in because of where he plays. Like who, who are the Tigers going to use to bump him out of a prominent spot in the lineup? Like even if you bring up Green and Torkelson, they need guys to get on base yeah, for the young yeah. guys. And Grossman does that. I would say this, you know, like if you, I run the auction calculator for the bat on Fangraphs. Uh, there's a 574 plate appearance thing, so he only ends up an $8 player, and he doesn't look that great in there. Baseball Prospectus has a projection, has an auction calculator as well, and what's kind of cool about what they do is not only can you change the slider on performance and say, hey, well, I want to look at what a 60th percentile Robbie Grossman looks like in terms of performance, they also have a slider that you can change the plate appearance. So you could say, let me slide him up to 80, 90% plate appearances so that you get a 650 out of him or something, and let me see what his auction value looks like then. So that's a really cool thing about the the axe, I believe it's called, on Baseball Prospectus. Uh, really cool tool they have there. Even with the uptick in barrels, uh, don't expect much of of an increase in in batting well, average. Canada, I mean, it, where barrels go to die is one of the nicknames for that park. Yeah, it's just not going to happen based on on how things are going. That's the the only category where he might end up being very fringy or even a. a Tick below average, depending on how it plays. But cheap speed is hard to find, yeah. especially from guys that don't seem to have a lot of playing time risk. And I think how this bad is, is a 250-12-12 season going to hurt you? Pick two hundred. It's not. It just it shouldn't. Um, you know, you're probably going to roster him all year even if that happens. Oatmeal with a chance to be oatmeal that has chopped up apples and pecans <laughs> and a drizzle think, of something know, good. In it. Is I think this other guy, Andrew Benintendi, I think has actually ended up, uh, you know, in the oatmeal category as well. 
where you know people wanted so much more for him. Uh, and but last year's season, 276 with 17 homers and eight stolen bases is totally fine. Benintendi, eight for 17 as a base stealer, more of a batting average floor, probably a little more risk in the stolen base profile. But we're talking about a guy that has a good power speed base, should get plenty of playing time, and also has an improving lineup around him. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. You can get a subscription for $1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. Find me at Derek Van Riper. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thank you.